Break Fix Podcast is all about capturing the living history of people from all over the autosphere, from wrench turners and racers to artists, authors, designers, and everything in between. Our goal is to inspire a new generation of petrol heads that wonder, how did they get that job or become that person? The road to success is paved by all of us because everyone has a story. There are so many choices these days to help you get on track and picking the right one for you isn't always easy. Enter Auto Interests, a professional motorsports event management business specializing in high performance driver education, setting itself apart from the rest of the pack. That's right, Brad. And their origin story closely parallels that of GTMs. And so we're really excited to have Jason Kennedy, president of Auto Interests, on this episode of Break Fix to explain how this all works and how it all fits in. And as always, I'm your host, Brad. And I'm Eric. So let's roll. So welcome to Break Fix, Jason. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Let's kick it off with your superhero, super secret origin story. Tell us all about the who, what, where, and when of auto interests. Well, it dates back to about 2004. And we started with no intentions of doing what we're doing today as the uh, Ford Taurus Car Club, of all things. This all started when the president of the club got this amazing idea to take everybody to a race track, Gingerman Raceway in South Haven, Michigan. And I'd never even heard of a road course before. I'd been drag racing and some stuff like that, but I was never really a like F1 fan or anything like that. I just never paid attention to it. And I didn't really even know what a road course was, let alone one that I could drive on. The guy's name was Bob Gervais, and he was a really good mentor to me he booked this event. And so, and a bunch of us went, we had no idea what we were doing with our stock Ford Tauruses. And a couple of the guys had SHOs that we all had to drool over and all that. So we went and we had a great time. And like I said, we had no idea what we were doing. So we burned up brakes and ruined tires and we're doing all kinds of things in the, the paddock at the track and in the parking lot at the auto parts store. And, you know, it was just a, non-stop weekend of car work but it was a great time and that was the start of it and um, Bob had some some challenging family issues and things like that and unfortunately couldn't organize those events anymore so in talking to him I got the dumb idea that I was going to do it because I loved it so much so I thought okay well then I'll put these events together so we did and and we kept it going and then we were going to Gingerman you know, a couple times a year. And then we kept looking, oh, what other tracks can we go to and stepping it up a little bit? Never in my mind was this ever going to be a serious business or anything like that. For me, I just did it because, well, I wanted free track time. (laughs) And, uh, you know, over the years we had a good time with it, but then everybody started getting older and being responsible and having kids and families and all those boring things. And the group was kind of slowly dying off a little bit. And we thought, well, we really need to branch out because doing these as the Ford Taurus Club really isn't all that marketable, especially since at that point, barely any of us had a Taurus anymore. <laughs> um, I had switched to a Mustang and there was all kinds of other things, you know, just smart, smart move there. Smart move. Yeah, it was, it was a little more purpose built for what I was doing, but <laughs> we decided, you know, we really need to transition this. The auto interest name and brand had been thought of at that time that we were starting to realize we needed to change our name for the track events. And we had this brilliant idea, me and probably half a dozen other friends, that we're going to be like the next Jalopnik, right? We're going to 
start this blog and we're going to do all this stuff because we all had plenty of opinions about cars and went to all the auto shows and everything else. Well, generating that kind of content, keeping up with that proved to be more challenging than, than anybody was going to keep up with. This so, sounds awfully familiar, but please, please continue. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we're listening to our origins. Yeah. Yeah. It's like our <laughs> obituary, but anyway, keep going. <laughs> That's cool. That's funny. So, you know, then we thought, well, we already made this website. We already have this name and this stuff. And we hadn't, we had just started to, to kind of put a little bit of content together. Hadn't really even told anybody it existed. And we thought, well, let's just use this name for the events. So, okay, well, <laughs> that's what happened. And, and we did that. And then it wasn't really until about 2011, 2012, somewhere in there that, you know, by that time we were going to three or four different tracks and, you know, I'm thinking, okay, you know what, maybe we can make a go of this. And I kept adding an, another weekend, another weekend, another weekend year after year. And now here we are doing close to 35 event dates a year in a season. And, and we're busy, you know, basically every weekend you can be in the, the Rust Belt. <laughs> I mean, at this point, we're the third largest CE organization in the country. And, you know, I realize PCA at a national level and some of the clubs do more than us, but in terms of independent chapters and all of that, it's really interesting. It's a truly grassroots story and, and it just came out of, you know, a club of a bunch of guys wanting to have a good time with their cars and that's where we came from. So are you guys headquartered out of Michigan then or somewhere else? No, actually we're headquartered out of Canton, Ohio. That's where I'm from. That's where a lot of our instructors are from. We've kind of got a, a pretty strong epicenter of the group. Our customer service person, Andrea, and her husband, Mario, they're here now. They're actually, we're from the Detroit area, but they moved down here a couple of years ago. And it kind of works out really nicely because we're triangulated right between Nelson Ledges, Mid-Ohio, and Pitt Race. They're all about the same distance. And lucky me, I was just born here. So that's, <laughs> I don't know how that worked out that way, but it did. So of those three, which one do you call home? I'd probably have to say Nelson, just because that's where we started. That's the, in my mind of those, that's the real grassroots track. You know, that's one with the most history. Nelson was the second track I ever drove on. Oddly enough, I drove six hours to Gingerman <laughs> to drive that one first, and then later found out Nelson existed, and I'd have to call Nelson home for sure. You guys do 35 events a year all over the East Coast and the Midwest. Which would you consider as your favorite now that you have all this experience? That's really a tough one. I mean, speaking as an event organizer, I'd have to say Pit Race, just because they've built up their amenities very, very nicely. They've got you know great paddock space. Everything's paved, great power. Uh, air-conditioned bathrooms, you know, a nice big air-conditioned classroom, beautiful new garages. You know, from that perspective, that's great. But from the actual driving experience standpoint, Pit Race is certainly a contender on the track itself. It's brand new asphalt. They did a 1.2 mile edition of the South Track just a few years ago, which still feels like yesterday. It's a really challenging track to drive. You know, there's always a classic uh, mid-Ohio too. And I'm, I'm kind of one of the weirdos that likes mid-Ohio in the wet. <laughs> I enjoy the rain line at mid-Ohio, so. Is there such thing as a rain line, really? <laughs> well, it, at mid-Ohio there is for sure. Not at all tracks, really, but at mid-Ohio there is for sure. And that really comes from there's just, there's so much sealer on that track that it's really like an ice skating rink. I mean, it is, it's really bad if you hit that sealer when it's wet. 
It's just like hitting black ice on the street. So I have to agree with you. Pit race is definitely in my top five. I love going there. Ever since we started going there, uh, you know, everybody's like, when are we going back to pit? If you tell me we're going to pit, everybody's packing up and getting ready to go. But I, I'm with you. I'm an oddball as well. Mid-Ohio is still like my number one. And Road Atlanta is a close second to that. They're just such technical, fantastic tracks with a long history, especially their prominence in IMSA and, and Trans Am and things like that. So fantastic. So we're, we're, we're hitting all the marks here for sure. Let's go back to talking about auto interest a little bit. And, you know, you guys have been around for a while now, but, you know, a lot of us here on the East Coast, we're starting to see more and more names come up, you know, thanks to relationships with people like HPDE Junkie and other groups where, you know, your logo is starting to pop up more and more. You know, we want to ingratiate everybody to auto interest, especially, you know, again, here on the East Coast. So what makes you guys different than the names we're familiar with? Sure. And that, that's a great question. We get that question a lot. And, you know, I think the grassroots nature that we really came up in helped us build our differentiators. You know, number one is I don't think you're going to find another organization that's truly focused more on beginner learning and being welcoming to new people into the sport. We've gotten really, really good at getting first-time drivers on the track. We had over 700 first-timers drive with us last year that had never been on a track before. And the repeat customer rate is through the roof. That tells me everything we need to know. But we've worked really hard to build an instruction program and groom instructors you know, to, to do a quality job. We don't want the instructors that are there for free track time. We want the ones that are really interested in getting people into the sport, keeping them safe, and most importantly, having them letting them have a good time. You know, that's what it's all about. If you come to the track and you just can't figure out the line or you can't figure out some technical portion of it, that's no fun. So we find the instructors that are going to make sure that it is a good time, that you are able to get the hang of it and you can go at your own pace. There's no pressure. In that context, we add technology tools to make that even better. So, you know, everybody tries to find good instructors, but to me, it's more about the systematic approach of how you manage the educational process. So we have a system we call Trackside, and we have a learning module within that, and we have an 88-point driving curriculum that when you work with one of our driving instructors, they're checking off every single one of those individual criteria, and they're leaving you notes in there. They're telling you, you know, you've mastered this one, you're at 50% on this one, uh, it leaves you with the report card at the end of the day of very specific things for you to work on and also to communicate to the next instructor that you have of where you stand. You know, from the learning perspective, that's definitely a big differentiator for us because not only philosophically and culturally do we have the superior instructors, in my opinion, but uh, we also build a system to support all of that. And we layer that on top of what we call an HPDE points system. So we're the only players in the game where you earn points for every event you sign up for. So if you've ever been to a Dunkin' Donuts or a Starbucks or whatever, based on what you spend there, you get stars or points or whatever they call it. We have a system that works the exact same way. So every time you sign up for an event, you get points. You can redeem those for coupons for discounts later. The icing on the cake is, as you master driving skills, when you work with one of our instructors, you get additional bonus HPDE points added to your account every time you master skills. So we put our money where our mouth is in terms of the education and the instruction. That's really, really interesting. And that's extremely unique. Let's set some expectations for the newbies. Since you concentrate on the newbies a lot, let's talk about the DE program 
in the classroom because a lot of people think that you just show up to the track and you get in a car and you're going to do some laps and and brad and i are both coaches and we know that isn't the truth right we spend most of our weekend in the right seat trying to you know get the safest way around the track and all that but there's also a classroom aspect of it and every organization has a different way of approaching de the education side of you know, high performance driving. So what are the expectations for a new student details that they may not pick up until they get there their first time? So there's many dimensions of that question. So in terms of just what to expect in the classroom, one thing that we've done, um, you're going to find a theme here that we're big believers in technology and, and using that to support what we do. So we have something we call a classroom cart, and it's about a eight foot long cart that a big giant screen pops up out of, and it's all self-contained. It has a full AV set up in it, a sound system, mixer, everything else. And we built that because most of the tracks we go to have virtually zero infrastructure for a classroom environment. Of course, pit race is an exception to that. Summit point is an exception to that. But even there, like at Summit Point with the different circuits, it's inconsistent of what resources you get on each circuit. So we said, you know what, we need to build something to be self-contained to maintain the quality level regardless of where we're at. We have a full database and bank of videos. We have in-car video, we have drone footage. Uh, We have all kinds of different things to support the learning process. Of course, we have PowerPoints and things of that nature that help you bisect a corner and explain where the apex is and where turn in and turn out are all these things. So we realize that different people learn different ways. And, you know, for the visual learners or people that need to see video or graphic support for things, we bring all of that with us. That's the first thing in the classroom. Now, concerning what a brand new driver would experience when they come to one of our events, you know, the very first thing they're doing after the general driver's meeting is they're in the classroom. So for first-time drivers, the way we set it up is the first classroom is meant to be very, very digestible. What we mean by that is we're basically just going to tell you look, here are the safety protocols, make sure they understand the flags. And then we're going to tell them, you know, look for your flaggers, learn the lay of the land. uh, And we actually pace that very first session. So there's a pace car in it. Uh, We just want them to understand where to be on the track, where the pit in is, where the pit out is, uh, where all the staff corner worker stations are and all that sort of thing. So we we try to ease into it. So we don't want anybody just going gung-ho out there that, that doesn't know where they're going, doesn't know what they're doing, and those types of things. Obviously, that's a huge safety issue. So we do a total of three classroom sessions. The second and third classroom session get more into vehicle dynamics, technicals of, of the particular track that we're at, and things of that nature. So we ease into those things throughout the day. And then the intent is that each session on track, you're building a little bit more speed each time, gradually as your instructor is is comfortable with. And then we layer on top of that at venues that supported uh, car control. So we have car control drills that we've specifically designed to basically accelerate the understanding of handling dynamics. We want you to get sideways or understeer, oversteer, all those different things. We want that to happen in the car control area before it happens to you on the track. So you know exactly how your vehicle is going to behave in those situations. So what's the progression like for returning drivers to auto interests? And I don't know if you, do you use colors for your groups? Do you use letters for your groups? How do you move from beginner to novice to intermediate? We'll, we'll use those designators, those labels for now. What's that like? 
fun fact about me is I'm largely colorblind. <laughs> You'll find that very purposely throughout our program, things are color coded, but they're also either using words or numbers so that if there's anybody else that's colorblind, that that's not an issue, <laughs> which I'll sidetrack a little bit. Somebody once didn't stop for a red flag because they told me they saw an orange flag. And as we know, there is no orange flag. Uh, <laughs> so, it's worse when the red one looks green, right? That, that's a bigger problem. Yeah, that's bad news. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, back to the, the run groups and the progression. So our very first run group, there's two of them. And I'll explain why. There's a first timer, which is pretty self-explanatory. It's, I've never been on a track before. It's my first time doing anything like this. Then we have what's called acclimation. And acclimation is simply a half day version of the first timer program. If you think this is something that you want to do, but you know, you're not quite sure if it makes sense to spend the money or the full day commitment to all of the sessions for an entire day. Uh, you can basically do a half-day program where you get two on-track sessions and you get three classrooms and you get the car control and then you can decide, hey, is this the right thing for me? Those are the two you know, beginner level groups that we run, first timer and acclimation. So then after that, we get to novice. So our novice group is assumed to have experience. And that's something we really have to train our instructors on because if they've trained with other organizations, to them, sometimes novice means that they're completely brand new. That's not the case with us. A novice means you've had some experience. And linking that back to the technology in our online system, you have to be approved for a run group level. So if you go and you create a brand new account on our website, you can only access first timer or acclimation until you submit a driving resume and get approved for a higher group. So we systematically enforce that to make sure people are in the right place. So then after that, we have novice solo. So that's pretty self-explanatory. You're still at a novice pace. You're probably at the upper end of a novice pace on track, but you're safe enough and you have the situational awareness and everything else that's necessary to not need an instructor with you and you've reached the level of self-study. And by the way, all of this links back to our 88-point curriculum. So one of the pet peeves I always had is that our sign-offs for run groups were subjective. Uh -huh. So somebody would go for a check ride with an instructor and someone would just have to say, well, I think they're good to solo. Well, if you go into your account on our website, we've articulated exactly what that means and exactly which of those 88 skills you need to have mastered before you're moving on to solo. We've really taken a lot of time to build that out and make it very objective. So then after novice solo, you have intermediate and advanced. You know, again, those are, of course, broken down in the curriculum as well uh, in the system. So when does the 88-point system stop? When you reach intermediate or advanced? Like when do you complete that checklist? There's only 10 or 12 points in advanced. So it stops after advanced, essentially. But the bulk of them are in the first-timer and novice level. So it's very heavily weighted. There's 60 some that are in the first time or a novice level. And students on track, what's your average uh, run group look like for those, you know, those two lower levels, let's just say. So we have a formula that we use that's 13 cars per mile. That's our maximum run group size. And then uh, we trim from that for the novice groups. We will take about 10 to 15% off for the novice groups, just depending on the track. You were mentioning, you know, the, the different run groups. You mentioned the, the first timers, the acclimation, novice, intermediate, uh, advanced. I'm assuming instructors 
might have their own run group or do they run with advanced? Well, what I'm trying to get at is it sounds like a lot of run groups. How much track time is somebody looking at you know, on a one-day basis you know, if they come to one of your events? In aggregate, you're going to get two to two and a half hours of hot track time per day. And a large chunk of that does factor in what is usually a 40 to 45 minute open session at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, novices do have to qualify for that. And by that, I don't mean a good lap time. <laughs> I mean a good safety record and, and a good situational awareness through the rest of the day. Instructors do have their own run group. There aren't a lot of those during the day, though, because the instructors also have the right to drive in any other run group that they want to. But the instructor run group, those handful of sessions are for the instructors to go at instructor speed if they want to do that. Because when they're driving in the other groups, they've got to hold the pace of, of those groups. Yeah. And you mentioned the, uh, the open session towards the end of the day. I'm assuming that runs at whatever the rules are of the lowest common denominator in the group. We follow intermediate rules for that. So if you're a novice and you're approved to go in the open group, you might gain a passing zone, but it's not going to be open passing. It's always passing zones. And you guys use point buys, right? Yes. Always, always point buys every single run group. Gotcha. And the student to instructor ratio, what's that like? Is it one to one? Is it two to one? In the first timer group and acclimation, it's one to one. In the novice group, it's two to one. If you're approved to be a novice driver, then you'll have an instructor every other session. Since we're talking about coaching, let's let's dive into that a little bit more. Let's dive into that process. So, you know, a lot of us are now becoming more familiar with auto interests. How do we transition from existing groups like SCCA and NASA and Porsche Club that have certification processes to an organization like yours? Is there reciprocity there? Do you accept the certifications that we already have? How does that whole process work? And what are the expectations of a coach coming on board for the first time at Auto Interest? So from a coaching standpoint, there's been some industry initiatives to try to standardize that. It's one of those things that we've looked at those and we're not satisfied with where those programs are. You know, it's one of those things, yes, there's reciprocity. It's kind of informal. You know, there's some groups that we're pretty close, I would say, friends with more so than others, you know, specific chapters of certain organizations. You know, we've got a lot of overlap with like NASA Great Lakes instructors. So there's a lot of these people that we know that that it's not hard to Uh, have one of our existing instructors kind of vouch for. If somebody comes in and they've instructed for maybe some PCA region that that we've had no contact or experience with, we'll ask them to supply a resume. We'll ask them for references, check on those. I don't think we've ever had an instructor apply that, that wasn't at a legitimate level with whatever other organization they've instructed with. But we, we check those things because we're putting people in cars with people that have never done this before. And they've got to know that the person in that right seat is going to be giving them sound advice. And then from instructor recruitment standpoint, we actually have a five-step um, instructor recruitment and mentorship program. So what we do each year is we talk to some of our advanced drivers that maybe have been advanced for you know, three, four or more years at this point. And we'll find out, do you have the right attitude and desire to do some coaching? And if you do, and, and we feel like you have the right personality traits for that, then we have an instructor mentorship program. So we have levels one through five of instructors defined uh, in our program. So if we bring you in as a level one instructor, that's considered a level one mentorship program. 
If it's your first year ever instructing, you will have one of our senior instructors shadowing with you the entire step of the way. So you're never instructing on your own for the first time with us. Uh, we try to do at least three events where you're shadowed and uh, working with one of the senior instructors. If everything's going well, the student feedback's good and everybody feels good about it, then we'll bump you up to a level two, which linking back to the other run groups, you know, we would consider a solo instructor. Then it kind of goes up from there. Now the progression beyond that is really more based on your dedication to auto interest. So, you know, are you coming to a significant number of events each season? Are you getting good reviews? things like that. So it switches from, you know, general competency verification to, okay, how committed are you to our organization? Given the current times with COVID and everything, you mentioned in-car instruction and everything. How are you all handling the instruction with last year's events and, and events moving forward this year with, you know, the, the restrictions and everything of COVID and the, and the, the fears of getting in the right seat with somebody else in close proximity and all that? That's where we, again, lean on our technology. So there's several things we did with our technology platform to manage COVID. One is we have a completely paperless and contactless check-in system. So you can sign your waivers, tech forms, and everything digitally ahead of time. And that's all seamless. And at that same time, you're asked a question that you save in your profile that says, are you comfortable with in-car instruction or would you prefer out-of-car instruction or observational instruction, we call it. And so you flag that preference in our system. If you do not flag a preference, we will just assume that you are not comfortable with in-car and respond accordingly. And then we collect that same information from our instructors. So we ask the instructors and we say, are you comfortable with doing in-car instruction or would you prefer to support the observational program? So we very much believe in making that an individual choice. It's a personal responsibility thing. All indicators would say that that HPDE in general is a pretty low risk activity in terms of COVID. You've got tons of airflow, you know, your windows are down going, highway speeds are better around a track, you've got helmets on. It's generally considered pretty low risk, but obviously we wanna respect people's preferences and concerns and, you know, everybody knows their own personal medical and health situation better than anyone else. So that's how we manage that. And we also invested in some FM transmitters. So in our observational instruction, we can maintain communication with a student that is out there on their own, and then we can immediately communicate and correct any issues or anything like that. So when you mention FM transmitters, I'm thinking something along the lines of, I want to connect my phone to get my music and it connects to an FM channel. Am I way off base or is there better technology out there? I'm a boomer. What can I say? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, we, we tried to make it simple for, for the boomers and everybody. <laughs> so it literally broadcasts on an FM radio frequency. So um, it's a device that the instructor has that's supporting the observational instruction, and they'll find a, an open FM frequency. You know, these aren't obviously powerful enough to build a radio station, but <laughs> they're powerful enough to go, you know, a few thousand feet to a car that's on the same track as them. So we find a radio station that, that doesn't have anything in the local area. Uh, we set the transmitter to that. Then in your car, you set your radio to that same channel or same frequency, and then we can communicate with you. And it's one way, but, you know, we found that that's sufficient. And the interesting thing was we looked at that data throughout the course of the 2020 season and over 95% of people were okay with in-car instruction. So it's, it's actually been a pretty small group that we've done the observational with, but 
in the cases that we've done it, it's, it's worked out fine. And, you know, we've, we've made the best of it. So let's unpack this observational coaching a little bit more, because I, I want, I think I'm probably not the only one scratching my head going when I think observational, I'm thinking standing at a corner, watching a car go by like a flagger, or is this a lead follow? I mean, how do you describe what it is that you do in this observational task? So we've done it as lead follow. I have kind of a, a trusted set of advisors with this. I don't like to decide these things myself. You know, we're doing a big enough volume of events and things like that. That you know, I want other people's informed opinions in how we're formulating these policies. So we have a safety steward who has been race control at numerous different tracks for many, many years. Uh, we have co-chief instructors, and then we have a cohort of senior instructors that support, you know, our mentorship program and all that. And those are the people that I confer with when developing those procedures. And so we came to the consensus that lead follow was the safest way to do the observational instruction, because then, you know, we can get into at least a little bit of passing exercises, things like that. So you can do a little bit of like leapfrog with the instructor back and forth. Um, If the instructor is following behind and they see that, you know, there's a, a better line to take somewhere, they can communicate and conduct a pass and then show the student the line, then they can get back let the student pass them, you know, let them try it and see how it progresses. I found that to be much more effective than the corner station type of observation. Um, I've actually participated in that. So that's something that I do personally is I, I go to other organizations and instruct and I try to do it with ones that use a variety of methodologies um, so that we're honing our craft and, and staying sharp and that when people are trying to advise me that I have some actual experience hands-on with trying these things. So let's switch gears a little bit and let's talk about the, now you've got my interest. Like we've heard about all the really cool things that auto interest can do. And I want to come to an event. Where do I go to register? Do I go to MSR? Do I go to club registration or is, is it on your guys portal? What's the best way to find an event? The best way to find it is autointerest.com, and that is with an S, but we do own both domain names in case you forget that. Part of the reason that, that we have our differentiator and, and our online curriculum and our you know technology systems that support a lot of these things I've described is the other platforms don't do it. So that's why we built our own. We can do a better job of, of deeper engaging with participants by using our own platform you know, we list our events on other platforms, but you can't sign up for them there because we need to collect the right information from the participants and have them directly in our systems to provide the best experience, you know, using all of these tools that we've built. With all these run groups throughout the day, we're looking at maybe an average of 18 to 22 minutes per session. Is that about right? We call them 20 minute sessions, but yeah, that's what they work out to. Every track has a little bit of nuance to that just because they may checkered in different locations and things like that. But they, we try to make them about 20 minutes. So if people are getting about 20 minutes a session, you say about two, two and a half hours a day, what does that come out to uh, for track time per dollar? The registration costs at our events directly reflect the, the cost to rent the track. You know, that's a common question we get is, well, why, you know, why is there such a big price difference per day or per weekend? It, it directly re- reflects the rental costs. I mean, some of these tracks are exorbitantly expensive to rent. Some of them aren't. But doing the math out in terms of, you know, dollars per session, um, that's probably more complicated math than I can do in my head. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, let's do it but, this way. What's the average cost per weekend that people would be looking at if they're interested in coming to an auto interest weekend? So per day, you know, on the lower end of the spectrum, you're going to be around 200 a day. Um, on the high end of the spectrum, it can go up to as much as 350 uh, at some of the higher end tracks. Uh, the one thing I will say is uh, we do have early discounts. So the earlier you register, we do things in price tiers. So those tiers are both time centric and based on the number of spots that are sold. So if an event is selling extremely quickly, the tier could advance more quickly. Generally, we hold them to the dates unless we have a specific situation we have to deal with. But so on our website, you'll see, you know, tier one pricing is from this date to this date, and then tier two and three. Some of them have four tiers just because we tried to, the higher cost tracks, break it down a little bit more. But for us, you know, the big thing that kills us is the weather watchers, right? Like everybody wants to have a bright, sunny weekend. You know, we're on the hook for the track rental costs, you know, regardless. We signed the contracts back in October and November. So we have no idea what's going to happen in, you know, May, June, July, and whenever. Um, so for us, it's kind of one of those things of we offer the incentive to sign up early because if you commit early, then we feel a lot better about it, um, that we're making our nugget that we have to get over for that. But actually, that feels like a good time to bring up the fact that we do offer something we call HPDE protection plans. So that's something unique to us as well. It does not cover your car. It has nothing to do with, you know, on-track insurance. But what it is, is we will cover the cost of lost track time. So if it rains, if you break something, if you get sick and you can't come to the track, if you have a death in the family and a variety of other factors, you can buy the HPD protection plan. It usually costs somewhere around 10% of the total registration costs. It's, it's very similar in price to like travel protection with an airline or something like that. We tried to price it kind of on the lower end of that spectrum, but that's something that as far as I know, no other organization offers. And oh, that is extremely unique. And the reason we did that is, you know, things happen and we have a history of, of being fairly generous with what we call courtesy credits because we do feel bad when those things happen, but, you know, we can't eat all of those. And we try to be generous and as much as we can, but there are times we've been taken advantage of with things like that. So we thought, why don't we put a program together to make this a systematic thing with a defined benefit and then everybody feels good about it. So in anticipation of my first event with auto interest, right? So I've done my registration, through, I've, I've set up my profile, I've done all the stuff through the portal and through the website and whatnot. What comes next? Do I tech my car? Do I just wait for a packet to show up via email? What's the next set of tasks that are gonna be delivered? There's two ways to find that. There is a pre-event guide that's posted on our website that really spells out in granular detail uh, how all that works. But you'll also receive about one week prior to the event, a pre-event email. It's basically all the information that is in the pre-event guide, with the exception that if there's any locally specific things going on, you know, at that time with a particular venue, uh, you'll want to watch for that in the pre-event email. Generally speaking, the flow of, of activity at our events is, is consistent across the board. We try to, you know, make it easy. It's just kind of like if you look at any franchise like McDonald's, if you come to one event, then you know what to expect at all of them. So we start the day off with a tech inspection. It's generally from 7 to 8 a.m. The times vary a little bit per track just because there's a little bit of schedule deviation from time to time, but usually it's 7 to 8 a.m. 
tech inspection process is really streamlined. If you go on our website into your account and fill out what we call your um, pre-check-in, then you can complete the waiver, you can complete your tech form. So when you show up for tech inspection, you're completely contactless and kind of a drive-through sort of format. Tech inspectors will have you pop your hood, open your trunk. You know, they'll do a look around for any leaking fluids, check the condition of your tires, things like that. You know, we don't disassemble things from the car in tech inspection. So we'll check everything that we can see. And uh, we check your helmet to make sure you have a current spec helmet. Uh, once you go through tech inspection, you kind of claim your paddock space. You can claim your paddock space either before or after tech inspection. So if you want to unload... Before you go through the tech inspection, you can do that. Or if you just want to show up at the track, drive through, and then go unload, it's, it's up to you how you want to do that. And then we start the day with the driver's meeting. Are coaches self-teching or do they go through tech as well? Coaches self-tech. We've got all this down. You know, we got our tech inspection. We got our pre-flight checklist. We've gone through all these portals and all this kind of stuff. But, you know, the hot ticket these days, the thing that's on everybody's mind is always safety. And so one of the things that has come up in the last few years is this concept of track insurance. And we had folks from Lockton on here to explain how all that works in gory detail and whatnot. And we've asked many providers is it something that you recommend your students invest in or something you get? And then the second side of that question is, is there a provider that you position during registration? Say, hey, you know, go check these guys out and get your track insurance. Is it part of registration? You know, a lot of folks are now bundling it in as part of the weekend fees, you know, things like that. So let's talk about your thoughts on track insurance. And then how does that work in the greater context of an auto interest weekend? Sure. So the purchase of track insurance is definitely a very personal risk assessment or risk tolerance type of exercise. So, you know, there's a portion of our drivers that have dedicated track cars and, you know, some of them are very expensive, some aren't. What I generally tell people is if you are driving a car on the track that you need to get to work on Monday, and especially if it's not paid off, buy the track insurance. If you have a dedicated track car and, you know, maybe it's a, a Craigslist Miata <laughs> or a Facebook marketplace, you know, whatever, you know, inexpensive older car and, and you can afford to just lose it if something happens, that's a good spot to be in, honestly. If you can swing a dedicated track car, I'd always recommend it. Definitely not necessary for first timers, but as you progress and you're building speed, that's always something I'd, I'd ask people to just at least consider it. Um, it's not a huge deal, but I know that the, the experience def- definitely changes. But to directly answer the insurance question, those are the considerations that I tell people to think about. Um, you know, do I need this car to get to work on Monday? Do I still owe money on it that struggle to financially handle if I couldn't drive it or if it was a loss? Now, I also don't want to scare people at the same time. Our incident rate on average throughout a season is less than 1%. And by incident rate, I mean something that causes some kind of damage to a car. So it could be driver error. It could be, you know, a light brush of a tire wall. You know, in the vast majority of our incidents are very minor. We've, knock on wood, never ever had to have somebody leave in an ambulance. Never had a serious injury. The only exception to leaving in an ambulance is we had a guy who had a heart attack, but it had nothing to do with what was going on on track. Uh, (laughs) So kind of an anomaly, but it was a good thing he was at an event where there was an ambulance that kind of worked out. It's generally a low risk exercise. I mean, I think statistically speaking, you probably have greater risk of having an incident on the street. 
just because of all the distracted driving and unknown factors of animals and whatever else is out there. Um, you know, I haven't run any official numbers on it, but that's my opinion. And it's also what you make of it. So if in the back of your mind, you know that, you know, hey, maybe I don't owe money on this car, but I don't need to drive it to work Monday, but it still was a lot of money for me, then drive it to reflect that, you know, don't go full bore. And, you know, it's something you can control. So that's kind of the main point is you, you need to take a minute to assess your personal risk tolerance and respond accordingly. So do you recommend people just go discover a track insurance provider on their own or does auto interest recommend it? Or again, is it part of the registration process? Yeah, it's, it is not part of the registration process, uh, but we do partner with Haggerty for that. In the rare instances that somebody has had a claim, we've received the feedback that, that they were very good to work with, like no issue with the claims, you know, and they, they do provide some support to our program. So it's, in full disclosure, they do support our program, but we only partner with organizations that we believe in. There's a reason that, that we chose them. You know, we, we used to partner with other providers. There's a reason that we recommend Haggerty at this point. So makes sense. Um, yeah. We've talked about a lot of stuff. We've covered a lot of things. There's some really unique pieces of technology, processes, procedures within auto interest. Is there anything else that we're not aware of yet that you want to tell us about, you want to share maybe something that's upcoming new for this season or anything like that? There's a couple of things. So one is our spec Panther series. So if you look at, uh, I think I know what this is. <laughs> the, we, we did kind of a soft launch of it in 2020 COVID kind of messed up our plans for that a little bit, but we're doing a, a we'll just say a firm launch of it in 2021. And it's the Ford crown Vic platform. So that Ford called that the Panther platform internally, yes. that's their name for it. So we have a race series built around that. So we've got about 10 teams already built. So on certain event dates, there is a spec Panther run group baked into that. And we try to work out the schedule so that nobody's really losing track time over that. You know, so we'll add some extra time on if we have to or something to make up for it. But yeah, the spec Panther thing's really fun. I have one of those cars. Um, I mean, they're just, you can't help but, but laugh the whole time you're driving it. And it's <laughs> so much better than spec Miata, Eric. I'm telling you. <laughs> I mean, anything with a V8, right? It's like, come on. Are you, re are you requiring competition license for that series? Kind of. Here's what we're doing for that series. So for 2020, it was basically just our instructors and then a hand-picked group of, of others that the instructors know. So we're actually putting on a competition school uh, with Tommy Byrne, if you're familiar with him, in May at Nelson Ledges. And so we're going to open up Spec Panther for any intermediate or higher drivers, and they have to either attend that competition school or hold a comp license from another organization in order to participate in it. And then at Nelson and Gingerman, we have really good relationships with both of them. From an operations standpoint, we, we actually, our safety steward runs race control at those events. And so we, you know, we hire their corner worker crew, but we also have a fully equipped safety truck and we do our own safety tows and dispatches and all that. Cause we, we try to very tightly integrate at some of the other tracks like pit race or mid Ohio, where they have the, the fully equipped safety crews, we don't have to do as much, but, you know, again, kind of setting the expectation of, of what the consistent minimum standard is, you know, that's why we outfitted a safety truck and everything, because not every truck has what we feel is the right caliber of, of equipment. Makes sense. 
So you said there were a couple things. What else is on the list? Uh, so the other interesting thing is a little less exciting to motorsports people probably, but in the technology world, um, our trackside platform that we've built, uh, we've now taken to market as a standalone product. So uh, we have some racetracks and sanctioning organizations and things like that that are going to be using that coming up in 2021. So that's something that, that we're making available for other motorsports organizations to use. Very cool. Well, congratulations on that. Thank you. This is what happens when IT nerds run a DE organization. I'm just going to point it out. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. <laughs> that is exactly what happens. So as we wrap this up, Jason, this has been really informative, probably enlightening for a lot of people, especially in our area that are hearing about auto interest for the first time. I think this is really cool. And we're excited to get together with you guys here throughout the 2021 season. So I wanted to give you the opportunity to do your own shout outs to any of your sponsors, any partners, anybody you wanted to thank while you still have the mic. Uh, yeah, I appreciate that. And I for sure have to send a big thank you to Summit Racing Equipment. They've been a presenting partner of ours for, uh, I think we're in the fourth year now. They give a lot of support to our program. They've been an anchor to our driving rewards program, which I think is something I forgot to talk about. So that's another program within our organization where every day of every event, all season long, we pick a safest driver, a most improved driver and a good sportsmanship award. And Summit kicks in gift cards and swag for those individuals. So there's three people that win every single day of every event all season. So that's a really cool program they kick into that, that's also unique to us. Hawk Performance Breaks, they've been a partner now for a couple of years. And uh, so they've been very supportive. They're kicking in some swag and some other items. We also have four auto interest drivers, a 30% discount on all Hawk products. That's a really cool thing. And, you know, the last one is uh, Malco products. So they are based in Barberton, Ohio. They're pretty local to us, but they manufacture a professional line of uh, detailing products. So if you need to get all the, the rubber chunks and everything off your car after a day at the track, they've got the stuff to do it. And um, they've been a really good partner too. So Jason, I can't thank you enough for coming on the show. Like I said, this has been super informative. It's given us an insight into yet another group that's out there in the HPDE world that we didn't realize that we had so much in common with and that has been around for so long. So for everybody out there that's listening, if you want more details on Auto Interests and their program, visit autointerests with an S.com or follow them on Facebook and on Instagram at Auto Interests LLC or use their online contact us form on their website. So again, Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been fantastic. Yeah, thank you. And, and one last thing I'd like to throw in um, for your listeners too. We are offering a 10% discount on our Summit Point uh, season opener to your listeners. So if you use uh, the coupon code GTM on autointerest.com for that Summit Point season opener, April 24th and 25th, that'll give them 10% off. Awesome. Well, thank you for that. We really do appreciate it. We hope to see you there. Will you be attending that event? Yeah, I'll be there. Awesome. Well, great. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. If you like what you've heard and want to learn more about GTM, be sure to check us out on www.gtmotorsports.org. You can also find us on Instagram at Grand Touring Motorsports. Also, if you want to get involved or have suggestions for future shows, you can call or text us at 202-630-1770 or send us an email at crewchief at gtmotorsports.org. We'd love to hear from you. Hey, everybody. Crew Chief Eric here. 
We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Break Fix, and we wanted to remind you that GTM remains a no annual fees organization, and our goal is to continue to bring you quality episodes like this one at no charge. As a loyal listener, please consider subscribing to our Patreon for bonus and behind-the-scenes content, extra goodies, and GTM swag. For as little as $2.50 a month, you can keep our developers, writers, editors, casters, and other volunteers fed on their strict diet of Fig Newtons, gummy bears, and Monster. Consider signing up for Patreon today at www.patreon.com forward slash GT Motorsports. And remember, without fans, supporters, and members like you, none of this would be possible.